welcome to the Dr. Christian Hein podcast, where we're living for preventative mental health, love and compassion. I'm so glad you joined us. I'm Caroline Heim, and here is Dr. Christian Heim. Hello, here I am. And today we're going to continue our series reading Dr. Heim's book, Negotiating Diversity with Insights from Science and Clinical Psychiatry. In today's episode, we're going to be looking at some very topical issues, intent versus impact the social brain, and eye contact. But we start out with a discussion of your feelings underneath. If you like these podcasts, please subscribe, spread the word, and recommend them to others. And today, I will definitely be pausing and asking Dr. Heim some questions. Here we go. The science of feelings underneath. Feelings underneath is a term I use for nonverbal communication. Through feelings underneath, we communicate so much But as this communication doesn't include words, we can safely deny our communications and intentions. We can lie. Yet some of the most important things can be communicated through feelings underneath. I don't like you. You're excluded from this company. I want to have sex with you. I admire you. Who the hell do you think you are? In Chapter 1, I discussed how we hide thoughts, feelings and intentions in social interactions, but that these may still be transmitted through tone of voice, expressions, behaviour, eye contact, innuendo and more. This section looks at the science of how we communicate these. It includes a discussion on empathy and screen technology, intention versus impact, and the science of the eye contact effect and the social brain. Empathy and screen technology. Empathy in our anterior cingulate gyrus connects our brains so that we can become a network of people in tune with each other, in limbic resonance. Like a magnet has a field of force it extends out further than its physical limits, so too the brain has a field of influence way beyond its physical limits. We transmit our feelings underneath through empathy, through the anterior cingulate gyrus, through knowing what hurts another person or knowing what makes another person feel good through eye contact, looks, expression, and behaviours. This leads to feelings of rejection or acceptance in a person, regardless of the words we use. We are very sensitive to each other. We notice. Okay, so let's just pause there. Are you saying that we can actually sense this rejection from other people, even though what their words say and their well-developed social mask is entirely different? Most definitely. Um, It's very strange because we humans are the only species that really lies. And so we can actually have an intention that goes 180 degrees against the words that we're saying. Mm. Okay. And we're very sensitive to it. We are. We kind of know. And uh, like we will have discussions about, I'm not sure that person meant that or did we like this or what? And there are all these discussions that we don't talk about that we have in private because in public we put forward a face as though the words mean exactly what we say. Yeah. There's always so much more. So much more, because you can come home and say, oh, I just didn't feel that they liked me. That's right. You know? That's right. Yeah. And in earlier discussions, uh, we talked about different cultures. Mm. So some cultures are more direct, and some cultures actually rely on the social brain picking up the influences and all the innuendos. And that's part of how the culture works. There's nothing wrong with that. But that can get to an extreme where we can actually lie and manipulate that part of our communications. Yes, we can. Sensitivity to rejection has grown these few decades for a number of reasons. Growing population, growing dissatisfaction with inequality of income and opportunity, power struggles and more. We're growing more suspicious of each other. This affects our brains and how we interact. Sensitivity to rejection also has grown for a subtler reason screen technology. 
we're looking at and interacting with screens much more and looking at and interacting with each other much less. We're using our empathy-laden anterior cingulate gyrus less and becoming socially disconnected. Scientific evidence shows that we're losing empathy and that screen use is a major contributor to this. Screen use causes brain white matter development problems in preschoolers. It alters our brain long-term wiring and heavy screen use shrinks our anterior cingulate cortex. If we use it less, our brains invest in it less, so it shrinks and we lose empathy. More screen use means less eye contact, less encouraging words, less laughter, less touches and less reading of others' behaviours. Less empathy. Online sex is replacing the real thing and a doll demands less empathy than a person. The bottom line is that because of excessive screen use, we're socially de-skilling and are fast losing our ability to negotiate each other socially, let alone negotiate diversity. Oh wow, this is really frightening. I wish these studies were widely disseminated, then we all might think twice about spending hours and hours in front of screens. Yeah, we would. But unfortunately, our society is driven by where the money goes. Yeah. And uh, out of commercial interests, uh, people want us all to be connected to the internet. Mm. But, and I suppose this is why I make it one of my central messages, it means that we're losing people contact, losing the skills of actually being able to get on well with each other. Mm, true. The studies I referenced above are frightening. Our brains are quickly evolving to connect to the net, but to disconnect with people. For this reason, the WHO recommends no exposure whatsoever to screens for the first year of life. Extended exposure to love, trust, touch, smiles, cuddles and empathy, however, is still fine. Take home message. More screen technology leads to less empathy. Less empathy means less transmission of helpful feelings underneath. During the coronavirus crisis, much of my clinical work shifted online. We're all communicating online more and face-to-face -face less. We extol the many real benefits of online contact, but vital things go missing. Detecting subtle changes in facial expressions and behaviour, intense and purposeful eye contact, gut instinct readings, and the full emotional experience of engaging with a live person. We lose the feelings underneath. This increases the possibility of misreading social cues. As a result, we become increasingly sensitive to words which carry negative impact, and we trust the feelings underneath less. Okay, so well, I guess you don't really get to sense the feelings underneath when you read a text that you get in from someone on your phone. Uh, yeah, but it's a matter of degree. So uh, let's say when you're on the phone and you're just hearing their voice, we can actually sensitize to somebody's voice and get the feelings underneath that way. But the further you get away from a person being in front of you, like you said, a text message in front of you on your phone, uh, we still look for inferences. What do they mean by yeah, this yeah, word true. or all of that? But it's just less and less. And so the feelings underneath just aren't there. More screen use means less feelings underneath communication and more surface interactions with words. Words are fine when sharing information, but they can fail when trying to communicate genuine goodwill, considered understanding or welcoming acceptance. Words are powerful when backed up by genuine feelings underneath. Intention versus impact. Due to increased diversity, misunderstandings and sensitivity to rejection in society, we have to be more careful with our words. One relevant adage in contemporary social interactions is that it's not about your intention. It's about the impact of your words. Intention has to do with what you wish to communicate. 
impact has to do with how others receive your communication. We all perceive the world differently, so the intention in one person may be worlds away from the impact perceived by the other. Usually things are fine, but misunderstandings often occur. Take-home message, we all perceive the world differently, so misunderstandings occur. In this book, I encourage good intentions from you. That you intend, as far as it is up to you, to get on with people amicably and peacefully. These are helpful feelings to have underneath. When we communicate with someone, we generally assume good intentions on our part, but we may at times even deceive ourselves in this. Sometimes words just slip out unconsciously because of strong opinions, personal biases, unchecked desires and drives, or some past hurt. It helps to consciously choose good intention when you communicate with others. It helps the feelings underneath. Okay, pause here too. Do you think it can even help change the feelings underneath if you're actually saying words? Do you know what I mean? You're actually... I don't know what you mean. You're not feeling it underneath, but you want to feel it. Yes. 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 So uh, part of that is uh, when I say I encourage good intention from you to consciously say, I really want to get on well with this person. Uh, that will actually already affect your intentions by definition. Yeah, yeah. And it'll help you choose the right words because you've got a little observing eye out to see just how you come across. It's very helpful. Okay, good. The impact of your words is not under your control but nor is it totally out of your control. You cannot predict your words' impact, even given your best of intentions. If your words had an adverse impact, ask yourself if there was something in you that wanted to have an adverse impact. Unconsciously, you may have intended harm. Our unconscious world is not as squeaky clean as we pretend it to be. Unconscious processes are transmitted through the social brain and the eye contact effect discussed below. Mind you, if you take offence at someone's words, they may not be at fault. It may be because your unconscious processes are not squeaky clean. No one can take the moral high ground. As a guide, in sensitive interactions, choose words with their potential impact in mind. Giving thought to words in today's society is a given. Choosing to use words which don't give offence is expected. We need to be as careful as the situation demands while aiming to be our authentic selves and transmitting feelings of goodwill. Feelings underneath are always more important. If you get the words wrong, you can be forgiven, but genuine ill feelings are less likely to be forgiven or forgotten. Rather than pit intent against impact, consider the importance of both. Criminal law illustrates this. The difference between murder, manslaughter or an outright accident is intent, not impact. The difference between murder and attempted murder is impact, not intent. To emphasise the importance of both, consider what good is your good intention if your words lead to a bad outcome? How can you hold someone else responsible for an impact on you if they can't read your mind? Studies suggest that we overestimate the harm people intend each other. People generally intend less harm than we think they do. This supports the idea that in our present age we have grown more sensitive to rejection. Still, unintended hurt hurts. When hurt is intentional, however, it really hurts. Studies show that good intention does much to alleviate unintended pain. It's always wise to monitor your intentions. Take-home message, good intentions are important and make for good feelings underneath. 
aim to treat another as you believe they would want to be treated. And if you do not know how they would want to be treated, ask rather than assume. Take home message. Ask rather than assume how someone wants to be treated. What is the connection between intentions, impact and the brain? The social brain and the eye contact effect. When two minds are engaged, talking or looking at each other, they perceive, connect and get each other beyond words. This is scientifically known but difficult to describe. It involves feelings underneath. Making a good below-the-surface connection ensures that feelings underneath are okay and good intention is transmitted. This takes time and understanding. We'll consider the eye contact effect. The eye contact effect, briefly stated, is that direct eye contact when face-to-face -face activates the social brain. The social brain is the name given to the neural networks used when engaging others. The theory of the social brain is over 30 years old. It encompasses mind-to-mind -mind perception, empathy, altruism, trust, predicting another person's mental states, and intention, impact, and motivation. It involves structures such as the orbitofrontal cortex, the anterior cingulate gyrus, the amygdala, the insula, the ventromedial prefrontal cortex and premotor cortex, and the basal ganglia, mirror neurons, and more. On a practical level, each of us knows that eye contact is important. Some people tolerate intense eye contact, others do not. Some cultures accept intense eye contact, others eschew it. When disciplining a child, we sternly say, look at me. When training dogs, eye contact is important to gain trust and obedience. We tend to look into a love partner's eyes when seeking forgiveness, understanding or deep intimate connection. Because eye contact engages two social brains, it can be unnerving for reserved people. And we need to be sensitive to this. It's like the power of a mirror and a window into a private world. Okay, so pause for a minute. So with people that find it difficult to make eye contact, can this be culturally based too? Oh yes, it could be culturally based. It could be based in somebody's personality. There could be other reasons for it. It could be their past experiences and their past hurts. There are many different reasons. The idea is just to be sensitive to we all have different thresholds for eye contact. Okay. Take home message. Science suggests that eye contact engages brains like mirrors. Something profound happens with eye contact and social brain activation. Perhaps the eyes are, after all, the mirrors of the psyche. They are at least the mediators of the social brain and feelings underneath. They communicate much more than we presently understand. In a television series based on the science of the eye contact effect, participants with problematic relationships, estranged family members, war enemies, separated love partners, were asked to look into each other's eyes for five minutes while silent in an effort to find reconciliation. Many reconciliations were achieved. Many were not. Many feelings underneath were transmitted. As a clinical psychiatrist, I believe we're all very sensitive to feelings we communicate underneath while our social brains are engaged, be it with eye contact or an intense phone conversation. It's on this level that I connect with another person when practicing psychotherapy. We are indeed complex social creatures with complex social brains, and we affect each other to an extent still underappreciated. The science of the feelings underneath is incomplete, but we know that they're transmitted through empathy in our anterior singlet gyrus, nonverbal communication, and through the eye contact effect and engagement of social brains. Heavy screen use mitigates against these vital communications. It makes us more sensitive to rejection and more suspicious of each other. Words on the surface are always said in the broader and more important context of feelings and intentions underneath. 
the sum of science. The field of cultural neuroscience not only reveals the reality of cultural difference in the brain, but also enriches our appreciation of culture and diversity, including the diversity of religions, political persuasions, gender and sex expressions. The science of the mere exposure effect, moving from exposure and initial hostility through curiosity towards ultimate acceptance and celebration of others, can help us deal with diversity. We're already using this strong effect in advertising and marketing. We can apply it to help negotiate diversity. It's natural. Children don't think twice about putting it into practice. They play with and accept each other quickly. Prejudice, racism and bigotry are learnt behaviours that can be unlearnt. And since we're talking about children, I'd just like to share something here that I taught my students this week in my clown class, okay? And this is that a clown is actually who you are underneath. A clown is who you are if you had never been told no. That is so beautiful. That is just such a lovely way at looking at something like a clown. Yeah. That means there's a clown in all of us. I think so. We all have a clown underneath. True. Making a pro-social choice requires moving beyond kin altruism and reciprocity-based altruism into empathy-based altruism. It involves trust. According to science, we're each born with the potential to become extremely selfish, extremely selfless, or somewhere in between. To negotiate diversity, it's best to make choices towards trust and altruism. Choices are real. A pro-social approach is dependent on respecting differing beliefs and understanding the role of belief in our brains. Each of us has a unique set of beliefs to serve a unique brain navigating unique personal environments. This calls for understanding, acceptance and respect. Finally, the science of the social brain, feelings underneath, intention versus impact and the eye contact effect helps us to understand the complexity of nonverbal communication among humans to help us negotiate diversity. The adverse effect of the screen technology does, however, need to be kept in mind. This is not idealism. It is science. The science helps us when it comes to getting on as people, if we choose to do so. For the science to be useful, however, it needs to be applied. How you, as an individual, can apply the science to help get on with people of diversity is a subject of Chapter 4. Well, that's it for today. So much to think about and ruminate on. Ah, those feelings underneath. So next episode, we're going to get really practical about how you can apply this to your life. If you like this podcast, please subscribe and also join our email list to get updates and information about preventative mental health. The link's actually in the description below. Till next time.